I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in Cork and I'm joined as always by Murray Kinsella of the 42. Murray, how are things? Yeah, good. I think I'm doing better with this lockdown than the ones before, to be honest. Uh, maybe I'm getting a bit too used to it, but before we came on there, we were talking about the the luck of us not having kids yet, so we don't have to contend with that. But um, all's well. How are you getting on? Uh, I'm concerned. This is the first time I've seen my own face in a number of days. Uh, got the shout from Murray <laughs> a few minutes before coming on that we were going to be recording video for the first time and I was not aware um, of the extent to which I resemble a caveman but there you go that's that's lockdown <laughs> 3.0 good. and if you can if if the listeners and, and viewers can handle me at my worst they don't deserve me at my best uh, Bert you are a man with children how is that going for you is, is it a homeschooling sort of situation what ages are they and how are they getting on yeah I'm, I'm very lucky um, my daughter's 14 my son's 12 so um they're pretty much self-sufficient they're both down in different parts of the house but on on calls with their with, with their schools at the moment or, or at least they're supposed to be um but yeah i think i'm you know people i feel sorry for people with younger kids um you know who have to who get a load of homework on a monday or, or work for a week and have to go through it um subject by subject with them whereas um as i said the age minor asked they're the teachers have been brilliant so they're, they're effectively getting an hour of class an hour of work an hour of class an hour of work and uh yeah it's it's, it's going okay i feel sorry for them like, it's obviously tough not to be able to see their friends and things like that but uh for, in terms of yeah we're much more fortunate than a lot of people i think for a lot of rugby fans what's pulling them through this week and probably has been pulling them through uh, this month really of january is the prospect of monster and leinster this weekend and we were talking about it last week uh I kind of mentioned just my own personal feelings towards it, which were like, it feels like nearly a bigger game than some of the semi-finals and actual more meaningful games technically over the last couple of years. Um, and the build-up has probably closer resembled like a, a Champions Cup knockout game, it feels, even your own coverage of it, Murray, from from uh, early in the week. Or maybe it's more so how I'm consuming it or how, how I'm perceiving it because of, I'm just excited. Like, I, I need it in my life, frankly. And we're going to obviously get into that match uh for the, for the majority of the show but like uh and we're going to chat as well a, a little bit about projected Ireland squads towards the end of the show as well albeit we haven't seen that Monster Leinster game so a lot of those kind of predicted squads will will probably differ in a couple of days time or maybe not but one thing we probably don't do enough Birch is actually ask you or just about games you've played and like you would have played in so many of these uh clashes between Monster and Leinster um particularly in that game that the changing of the guard in 2009 obviously sticks out but uh what are your memories of it like even from your own playing era like the the intensity of the rivalry or or maybe lack thereof like what was the kind of dynamic between you guys and the monster players and how ferocious did it get yeah i think um i had a few good run-ins with them when i was in connacht as well we uh even though obviously it wouldn't have been as high profile we we had a three-all draw um, in, uh, in in Athlone in Athlone one day in horrendous weather, and a three-nil defeat in the sports ground. And um, you know there was a lot of uh, obviously with those kind of nature, those two games were very pack pack orientated, and um, there was a lot of friction. And that monster pack, that monster pack between two thousand to two thousand and nine, ten, um, were pretty lippy, um, pretty uh, very abrasive, very physical. So. You know, you knew all about it. And I think then I went to Leinster in 2005 and obviously Leinster is my home province. And yeah, uh, we were we were behind the uh, sucking hind tit really for, for three or four years. And it was uh, pretty embarrassing as a pack because that's where they used to take us on. And um, uh, obviously the, the level of profile or intensity around those games was, was a different level. And we really struggled to to hold our own and um yeah i was just reminiscing about someone during the week there and i remember um and this is an embarrassing story on my part but it's it, it, it's credit to paul o'connell actually so um we played munster in Thomond park in 2006 december 2006 the old Thomond park and um i remember i got stuck on the wrong side of a rook accidentally on purpose um uh in a dangerous area of the field and where they were looking for quick ball and um, in those days, actually, the referee didn't really just ping it straight away. The the opposition pack 
handed out the medicine. So I was basically getting, uh, I was getting a rain a shoe of boots, and I, I looked at who the pack was: Butcherello, Frankie Sheen, John Hayes, Duncan Callahan, Paulie, Leamy Wallace, and John O'Sullivan, who had played with in Connacht. And um, I was trapped; I literally couldn't get out of there. Um, and at first, uh, like, look at, um, there was no d danger to me or whatever. It was just literally. Um, I was going to have uh, a lot of stud marks on my body, but I, I was stuck. I, I just felt these 16 feet going up and down on me or whatever. And O'Connell um, just said, like in a noise, there was there was 14,000 people there. Uh, it was close to the touchline. That's enough, lads. And it just stopped. <laughs> it stopped. Uh, and they actually walked over me. Walked over me. Uh, there, and, and the ball was there for Stringer. And like, oh, okay, you say fair enough, O'Connell, but it was actually demoralizing. <laughs> it was actually demoralizing that he had, that he had to have pity on me. Uh, I was getting such a shoeing on the ground, and um, so effectively, yeah, it's just uh, first. I I toured I toured South Africa in '99 with O'Connell with the Irish colleges, and um, you know I always got on well with him in camp and things like that. But uh, uh, yeah, that was just a memory for me. But so you know, I think the big thing for us as a four pack was to to make sure we had one of them on the ground after that. Not not one of us was caught on, on the wrong side, and uh, I think we went to Limerick. Or sorry, we went. To, Tolman or Musgrave in 2008 um, on a real dirty wet night and we beat them and uh, it was started that whole transition in Leinster where Mike Brewer and Noxie started to have you know conflict around you know what kind of team we were whether we were forward based or back spaced and there was a little bit of a changing to the guard um, and that game I think it was just and every game pretty much when Mike Brewer got his way was look at you know, the backs will have the ball when the pack have kind of found a way into the game and, and laid down a marker. And uh, even though that was only, whatever, four points in a, in a Magnus League game, 2008, being able to go to, to, to Musgrave for us, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him um, and not take a, a backward step physically, I felt was a key moment in 2009 then in Croke Park where everyone remembers. But um, you kind of have to have building blocks to get there. And while, you know... And Munster were never as good in the in the in the Magners um, as they were in Europe, you know. Uh, and they often had little blips. But for us, we felt that that was a day that we kind of we got a little bit of confidence and and maybe a little respect from them. And that that led to two thousand nine, which is obviously a huge day. And and there's been some phenomenal games since. Not as many as we would have liked because it's rare we see two full strength teams go. And I think that's why there's so much more excitement about this weekend than potentially. Um, some of the games we've watched over the last three or four years. 2009 was the it was the turning point in this whole thing. And if you, if you look at it since 2009, Leinster have won 21 of the 28 fixtures between the teams since then. It's been real dominance. And that's not good for the rivalry, that lack of balance in it. I think Johan van Graan's record is one win in eight tries. And that was the, the game where James Lowe got sent off for taking out Andrew Conway in the air. So Leinster have had that massive dominance. And it was so fascinating that it did flip so severely in 2009 with such a blowout win in the end O'Driscoll coasting away on that that intercept but before that you had that dominant monster pack and it's really interesting Bernd, that you're talking about that side of it because traditionally we would have seen Leinster as this really talented backline team um, you know flowing skills some brilliant tries even if you think of that 2001 Celtic League final where they actually did beat Munster um, it was close enough, I think it was 24-20 potentially, Nathan Spooner kicking loads of goals. Even there, there was a, some lovely tries. Darcy and Horgan, I think, both scored. Um, but they just couldn't get the nudge on up front in, in the rivalry. And, and in fairness, the Munster pack was essentially much of the Ireland pack, really, wasn't it, at that time? What was the build-up like in, in, in 2009? So what were the things you were talking about or the people you put a target on or the massive kind of rocks that you had in your in your plan to beat them and then beat them so dominantly with that plan yeah so it was actually nearly the perfect the perfect storm and it, and it, it kind of mirrored what happened in on black sunday in um in uh, lansdowne road do you remember when monster the other monster leinster uh hiding cup semi-final where uh we'd been to toulouse in the quarterfinal you know scored a try from our own 22 played great rugby um and we were a team built around this flamboyant attractive brand of rugby and you know, we went into that game in, in 2006 full of confidence. Um, obviously, we'd, we'd won a, a Celtic Cup final against them, as you mentioned before, with Nathan Spooner, etc. And um, they absolutely ripped us apart through, you know, physical dominance, breakdown dominance, um, area bombardment. And when they'd soften us up, they scored some good tries. Mike Pigham dropping back in the pocket, but he hasn't. Stringer feeds him now. 
O'Gara, he's through! Oh, Ronan O'Gara! He's done it! That's it! He knows it! Munster know it! Europe will know it! Munster are going to another Heineken Cup final! I suppose if you think down to 2009, we'd gone to Harlequins, we'd been in a dogfight, Bloodgate, we'd won 6-5, maybe we're lucky. Munster the same weekend, absolutely demoralised the Ospreys and playing brilliant rugby. So Munster had actually thrown off the shackles. So the game that the game plan that won him Heineken Cups in 2006, 2008, um, you know, was very effective in cup rugby, um, particularly given the personnel they had. And they actually started to evolve, and and that actually opened <laughs> open opportunity for us because we went the other way. We went from being um, a team with ambition to being a team who wanted to make it a, a scrap, and that's what we did. And I know we scored a try, um, Darcy's try in the corner, and uh, from a great strike play. But that was something that we'd been showing a different picture for four or five weeks uh, beforehand. I think it was, I'm not sure if it's Maffi or Tapaki we wanted to get out, to jump out of the line. I think Earl's played the centre and yeah, we, but we've been hoping that we would get, I think, Maffi to jump and open up that that uh, that space uh, for for the pass to obviously led to line break and then obviously we finished and then, you know, Dricko's try at the end, okay, you know, but it came from, it was an intercept, you know what I mean? So, um, apart from that, we just got on top of them at the, at the breakdown, our set piece was good. And uh, we just made it a kind of a battle, and and they probably weren't expecting it, and and that's, you know, it's hard to see that coming because they've had they had such dominance over us beforehand, and because they're playing so well, um, but and and that's why I'm looking at this weekend, like, and I'm thinking, how can Munster beat Leinster? Well, you know, I think they have to kind of copy, um, copy that that game plan or or or, or battle, uh, battle plan around. Doing what they do really well and frustrating Leinster and taking Leinster out of out of the rhythm because you know you you'll see some of the stats um, on Leinster's attack it's it's phenomenal so for Munster even though their attack is making strides for them to go out and out attack Leinster I think there'll only be one winner um, and there's no shame in that there's lots of different ways to win a game but um, Munster's defence I thought against Connacht for 50, for seventy five minutes was probably as impressive a defensive play as I've seen in the in the Pro 14 this year. Um and looking at what Connor did to Leinster the week before, getting getting amongst them at the breakdown, you know, hassling and harrying them, I think that's the way forward. And Munster fans, you know, Munster fans were critical after after the semi-final in, in, in the Viva where, you know, they they kicked 25 times um and didn't really fire a shot. Um but I don't think their criticism was around the fact that it was a it was a kick chase type game. It was around um, how well they implemented and how physical they were and, and how much energy bro they brought. So I, I don't think they're going to go far away from that, um, even though their game has evolved, um, certainly. And, and, and it won't be as one, one dimensional, but I think that is the way to beat Leinster. Just to, to focus on uh, that kind of era that you were playing in and, and tried to apply it to now like as a, as a kind of a mirror image if you like so when you go back to that game in which you were getting a shoeing and you felt demoralized <laughs> and emasculated um and and how you guys went from say those low enough ebbs against monster to beating them in 2008 in Mosgrave and then uh applying that sort of um to, to that game in 2009 in on a bigger stage like as a pack even specifically whatever about the full team you would have probably taken some beatings uh, in in those sort of earlier years of your Leinster career. How does a pack go about actually improving itself and and even gaining the confidence to achieve parity against a pack like Monsters back then, which was completely dominant against you? Like, was it a through sort of technical training? Was it just a, a kind of a form thing built up in confidence over time? Because obviously now you have a situation in which Monster tend to get dominated by Leinster in the pack, and they're looking to probably do what you guys did in, in 2008 yeah look we had to change completely how we spoke to each other how we held each other to account how we trained um as i said there was an element of game management and and you know for example and it sounds so stupid but like if your first five lineouts on your on your uh lineup menu were off the top or or strike plays or or plays to get the backs into it um suddenly you can find yourself getting running away from the the battle which the primary start of 
of, of a pack contest is is the scrum and lineup because it gives you a chance to go after them whether that's from a lineup mall or whether it's from a from a scrum a scrum and a secondary push and, and um which psychologically gets you into the game you know and we used to as i said we were there to basically give the ball to the backs give the ball to the backs give the ball to the backs and brewer insisted that that wasn't the case that we had opportunities early in the game to to go after the opposition and, and you mightn't get dominance that first time and then yet we had to go after him again and he wouldn't let us away with it until we until we did get dominance and to get that ability to improve that ability it started how we trained and and like i would say 2005 2006 2007 you know our training sessions were they were good you know it was skill focused there was um lots of quality because we had a phenomenal squad but there wasn't an edge there and um i think 2008 2009 um there was a real edge there and like an edge and i'm not saying you have to have fights of training but um it has to be at a level of intensity to prepare you for for the game and uh, and and two key guys who are actually brilliant for us who don't get the credit were probably trev hogan and stephen kyo who, who came from munster and you know they had been in an environment where they didn't get to play a huge amount for munster they played lots for munster sorry but they maybe weren't in the hiding cup team in munster um but they knew their role the weeks of Heineken Cup games um, or massive into pro games was to to put it up to the, the starting team. And there's lots of stories about a guy called Brian Hickey who's still coaching with Cork Con, you know, getting in the minds of of that um of that second string and like uh like chaotic not chaotic, but like sorry, um highly intense um mauling sessions in monster trainings with with no referee right or brian hickey as the referee which um you know the fellas coming to the side very frustrating it's so easy it's so much easier to be negative than positive um if you're in the second string and but yes that negativity and and illegal legality can actually help the first team be prepared for things that they will face in the game or, or get better so we used to have we used to have mauling sessions on a, on a Tuesday, which invariably ended up with with fights, and and um, and and you know Brewer wouldn't stop it because it was a fight. You know he'd let the fight happen, and then we'd go again, and and then it could blow up somewhere else. So, um, but yes, there was not like it wasn't carried off the field. It was um, we saw it as as a as a necessary process to go through um, for us to be able to hopefully beat a, a monster or to lose if they come come at us and uh it, it just got better and it built from there but um you know uh train hard play easy we trained very hard um and very physical with each other and if if fellas were tired on, on, a, on a on a thursday from tuesday that, that was just part of the um the whole deal it's interesting um burn that you've mentioned a few times mike brewer there and his kind of influence in this i think it is fascinating that some of the guys who've come from outside ireland have been I suppose almost iconic in the rivalry. Probably more recently, James Lowe probably sums up the rivalry in a way, getting in people's faces. He yeah. has been open about hating the Munster guys when they've got a red jersey on. You think of Felipe Cantapomi as well <laughs> in 2005 when he's cupping his ears yeah. celebrating. And then the year a year later, he's getting his his head kicked in by the Munster pack at every single ruck. Um, but it sounds like Brewer was, yeah. what, he understood what this rivalry meant and what beating Munster could, could mean for Leinster. Yeah, he took it as a personal challenge to make us better. And like in fairness, Brewer, Brewer was actually technically unbelievably good, really good around the breakdown, um, good around the line-out, line-out mall. I would say better. the best thing was just giving you an edge um, and constantly on to you um, around your physicality. Um, and like he was there for you, he had your, he had your back. Um, and, and in fairness, like it sounds so obvious, but he he had our back as a forward pack. You know what I mean? And and he, he said to us, look, we deserve to get respect, but we gotta we gotta earn it. And um, and like he's he's gone. He's had lots of jobs with Mike Brewer and um, as a head coach, and um, he he's had a lot of issues with player management and things like that. And and um, but from my point of view, as in terms of as a forwards coach, um. He was unbelievably influential for us at the time, um, and uh, yeah, just made us better, made us better technically, but more importantly, made us better mentally and in terms of having pride in ourselves and and looking after each other. So, I mean, example would be that stuff where Munster went after Felipe, you know, potentially without Brewer, we might not review that in the right way. We might have reviewed it around technical faults we made or tactical faults we made, whereas the reality was. 
there was one of our own, um, you know, getting beaten up and targeted, you know, and that's all you need to, to know. And, and, and that's all you need to fix, really. And you know, whether you're one inch or two inches lower, doesn't really matter. You know, if you're if you're looking after your, your buddies and, um, we, you know, and, and I think Felipe, Felipe is well able to look after himself, etc. But it was important that as a, as a pack, we didn't let, leave anyone alone. Mm. I met Mike Brewer, I think 2016 down in New Zealand. He's w working in that Iran's kind of coaching academy down there. And he was brilliant, yeah. brilliant interview, but like really blunt. And I, and I can see what you mean about yeah. what he brought in that sense in good. And also with, with dealing with players, I think he had a few comments about Johnny Sexton's place kicking that Johnny didn't like, but that was Brewer's opinion on it. And he was very direct in, in communicating it. Yeah, he, he actually ended up, um, he was playing for Black Rock um, at the start of his career and he got called in to be the the forwards coach for Ireland um, I'm not sure who was the was the head coach for a period as a consultant and I remember hearing a story where he was a very good player obviously but um, I think he hadn't have picked some of the Munster some of the Shannon players um, in a for in a probables v possibles or whatever or he was hard on him in a review and the week after he had to go and play in in, uh, in Tolmond for Black Rock against Shannon and they gave it to him left, right, and center. You know what I mean? It's just funny the way at the start of professionalism, it was so amateur in some ways where he was player coach for Black Rock. And next thing, he was actually uh, coaching Ireland and, and players he was playing against. Funny when you mentioned there, Bernard, um, like to say that, uh, and you mentioned it as well yourself, Murray, about, say, Contepomi just getting bullied in, in that game in 2006. And maybe the, they're not being necessarily a reaction from teammates and friends that you would expect in that type of an environment and you needed to go through that process of of nearly having it out am among yourselves and training maybe before that sort of a instinctive reaction was was built in built or or before it uh, became prevalent again in the team and like that's probably something we've seen with Munster over the last couple of years against Leinster like a couple of skirmishes if, if I'm not um, recalling this incorrectly you know maybe one like flashpoint after a game in which somebody I, do you know what the names even and faces even escape me but somebody's kind of getting shoved and like nobody's is kind of coming to his aid and um we've spoken as well maybe not quite on the pod about in the past couple of years monsters body language not quite being there where, where things aren't going their way and the heads drop a little bit and there's a lot of scowling and frowning and um that seems to have been reversed you think like for example of uh everyone was talking about cj standard smiling in that claremont game you know like and and it was a kind of a curious uh quirk afterwards that people were so fascinated by it but it was because he was even in a situation in which Munster were 25 odd points down early like he was uh he, he was enjoying himself there was no panic and they were able to fight their way back into the game do you feel as though maybe Murray that uh Munster have, have kind of turned a corner themselves a little bit we, we'll find out obviously at the weekend whether they're good enough to beat Leinster um but just from that point of view of being able to respond to adversity a little bit because there's every chance in this game that they are going to find themselves down they are going to find themselves backed into a corner and maybe even chasing a lead definitely there's a real sense of momentum and confidence about Munster on the back of that Claremont game from what I understand they were when this game was initially going to be played on St. Stephen's Day they were going to put out the full strength team and go for it and they were really confident about taking down Leinster at that stage and you don't want to read too much into press conferences, but on Monday or Tuesday it was, Johan van Graan was up. And he just, there was a buzz off him, a little bit of confidence. He even had a go back at Leinster, which is so out of character for him. He usually says nothing, but he had a little bite back about the the criticism from Leo Cullen and Felipe Contepomi about their, their box-kicking tactics and saying Leinster are doing a bit that themselves, which is brilliant. You want, you want that kind of stuff, especially in a week like this, which already had uh, plenty of excitement in it. Um, but yeah, I, I do get that sense from Munster and I do get a sense that this week they feel they're in a really good place to do it. They've made progress, as Bernard said, with little parts of their attack. The rest of their game is still in really good nick and they probably feel in the Munster camp that Leinster haven't been outstanding recently. Um, obviously a weakened team against Connacht losing, more impressive against Ulster, but I do sense from Munster that there's a um, an extra level in, in their own sense of self-belief. Like it's understandable that maybe their body language has been off because as we say, they've been dominated in this fixture for so long. It's really hard to reverse that, but this feels like a really prime opportunity to do it. And even though it is a regular season game, it's not another semi-final. That's where it really counts with this Munster team and that's where they'll be judged. 
the bounce you can get out of winning this fixture, you know, finishing off this block, this disrupted block, and heading away for the Six Nations with the the international players, the rest of the guys staying around, it'll give the whole thing a lift. And then come that semi final clash or final clash, if we get it this season, uh, definitely that body language will start to to reverse as well. That side of it is massive, as Mike Brewer pointed out. All those kind of mental and um, mindset factors are as important as the rest of it and I think it's a really good chance for Munster just to chip away um, at that really poor record Just to agree with Murray there I think if you're Leinster and you're the dominant team in Ireland um, you'll want to quash that newfound optimism um, you know I think Leinster saw Ulster coming to the RDS two weeks ago on the back of 10 wins and you know to have them going back up the road to Belfast with no points and then having five points just puts another doubt in their mind and they have to go off and figure that out and likewise you know Munster do look like they're reborn and and the body language the confidence they're going to get from that win in Claremont um is massive they've been on you know really good form in the Pro 14 but Leinster will know go to Tome and do a job on them it nearly sets them back further and it makes Leinster's next game against them, whether it's final or final, easier. Um and that's what you have to do if you're if you're if you're the if you're the king of the castle at the moment and, and you know, just thinking back to some stuff from the Crusaders and Scotty Robertson talking around, you know, what how they use that teaming to to build a legacy and, and what do kings do? They reign, they conquer. So from a Leinster point of view, okay, they mightn't be in great form. Um, but they're going to have a very strong team in paper um, and go down there, quash that optimism by by beating them and beating them convincingly. You know, it's a, it's not just four points or five points an offer. It's it's the damage you do um, long term. That, that's, that's a key point as well, Murray, from Leinster's point of view, because, listen, if you were talking to people involved with Leinster over the last couple of years... And if you mentioned games against Munster, like a lot of them saw Munster as nearly soft touches. For them, the edge of the rivalry had nearly gone because they had been so dominant in the game for so long. You had, you had the stats even earlier yourself. like, And uh, there's nothing that could refocus the mind. Not that Leinster ne- nearly need a refocusing, but for this p- specific fixture, then the idea of Munster being these plucky upstarts that might actually have a chance of, of gaining parity with you or have uh, ambitions of overthrowing you as as the kings, if you like, they will be looking to absolutely step on next, not literally, hopefully, this weekend. And actually, as Bernard says, send Munster, uh, you know, back, like send Munster uh, into a spiral, probably. Like th- this is a chance for them to inflict real psychological damage, probably more so than even previous games, because Munster are feeling confident and anyone can convince themselves they're the best in the world until somebody comes along and proves that they're not. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with that. And, and it does feel like a, an important one in the rivalry and, and whoever's going to take that dominant position. Plus, you have the fact that it is, it's a Six Nations trial. There's no way of avoiding that. And players are trying to talk that element of it down. But as the week's gone on, they're kind of going, yeah, you're right. Like, listen, we're playing for places in the squad. Any of those last minute doubts that Andy Farrell might have in this game. And that's why it feels... <sighs> old school in a way as well like the time was that Munster versus Leinster was a massive part of being selected for the Ireland squad when you didn't have as many provincial games when there weren't loads of Celtic League games that were as important so it feels like the the kind of old school probables versus possibles in in many ways there's guys in the back row vying for positions in the back three as well Um, all over the pitch really there are people who are in contention for Ireland either starting spots or in the wider squad and I love the fact that we've ended up with this game so close to the squad naming. You know, probably Monday we're going to get the Ireland squad and Andy Farrell will be watching with interest. Fingers crossed no one picks up any injuries and, and rules themselves out that way. But I think there's a real uh, chance for guys to rule themselves in with excellent performances. Um, and that that just adds another layer to it. We've been missing that in recent years, haven't we? You know, the Stevens Day matches or the festive interpro between Munster and Leinster kind of has been really good for guys launching their career you think of Dan Levy Jordan Larmer's brilliant try that time um, down in Thoman Park Ring Rose I can remember making a sky thing, a, a line break up the right hand side to set up a Nathewa try I think it was um, to, to kind of launch himself into the wider consciousness as well so there's always been those moments but as you've said at the start of the show full strength locked and loaded 
with so much on the line, it, it just feels perfectly primed to springboard into the Six Nations. And I'm fascinated to see which guys put their hands up. For me, the back row is the really interesting one. Um, even picking the starting back rows is tricky enough for, for both of them, actually. But there's loads of contenders there, and it just adds another layer of intrigue, really. Yeah, Bernard, let's bring you in on that then, the, the actual key battles in this game and where it might be won and lost. Back row is an interesting one. As Murray says there, even for the provinces individually, it's probably difficult to select a back row. Um, so many names vying for positions and those guys who do get selected in the starting lineups are, are probably vying for Ireland positions. You have kind of the likes of Reese Ruddock, who we've mentioned before, should be in a situation in which he, he gets to kind of resurrect or build upon his international career to date. Uh, and yet he's up against a kind of rejuvenated uh, monster duo, if you like, in, in Stander and Peter Romani. But maybe Stander didn't need rejuvenation. Peter Romani definitely did, I think, based on past form, but has been absolutely flying it. So you've got a, a lot of guys coming into form at the right time for international selection, but they're meeting guys uh, who are in a kind of a corresponding level of form in similar situations. And if, if we're talking about kings or, or uh, dynasties being overthrown, it's a chance for the likes of Ruddock to get one up on Omani. But on the flip side, similar to Leinster, Omani is probably looking at, at the likes of Ruddock and, and thinking, you know, you're not getting my jersey. Yeah, no, Ruddock, um, look, Peter Omani and Stander um, are, are buying in form, which is, which is great. Doris is, um, is going to be absolutely huge for Ireland in, in the Six Nations. But I think there's a lot of interest in Ruddock because um, he's just been so consistent for Leinster. Um, as he won three players of the month in a row, which is... Um, unheard of. Uh, well, it's very competitive in, in answer to do that. So it's a testament to how good he's been. And I've had loads of people ask me and, and question me around. Oh, has he done something to piss off Farrell or or whatever? And I, he wouldn't have. I mean, he's probably one of the most likable, well-respected people in camp, and and to such an extent that you know under under Joe, he sometimes captained Ireland even when he wasn't you know a first choice player. So um, that's not the case at all. I just think. He's had injuries. He's he's up in a very competitive area, but he seems to have found the best form of his career now um, with a run of games, and uh, that's the, he's the player I'm looking forward to seeing most of the, at the weekend and just seeing can he just deliver again on on a, on a huge stage for him personally with obviously an Irish squad being um, being announced Monday and look at you know maybe maybe he won't get to start for Ireland in in. Um, in the Six Nations, but I think certainly his form deserves to be back in the reckoning anyway. But um, that battle, you know, will be will be massive. It's impossible to call how something like that is going to go, Murray. We just have to wait and see and, and let the game play out. But where are the other areas in which you think this game will be decided? Like a, a couple more matchups maybe where... Um, Whoever gets the upper hand will probably have the upper hand in the match itself. Like thinking of set piece... Uh, what kind of form are, are both provinces coming into it in terms of uh, their line out their maul and so on yeah both the mauls are in pretty good nick they're both weapons with their attacking maul I like the way Munster have added a bit of variety around the maul as well with some of their line out attack you know little dummy maul setups peel around the back with the hooker you've seen Kevin O'Byrne prominent in that role or playing off a little bit wider you remember that lovely strike play for Keith Earls kind of half break against Connacht they've definitely got a little bit more character around their set piece let's say Larkham's blueprint is is a lot more prominent there even you think of Mike Haley's try in Clermont beautiful set piece play and they were really important those set piece attacks in that comeback there were several other examples where they just they nailed every little detail of it um, and they threw something that Clermont probably weren't expecting at them and I think Munster have done that better generally with their attack I agree with Bernard I don't think they're going to be flinging the ball around in this game uh, weather conditions per the forecast at the moment are going to be pretty poor as well so it's not ideal for that but I still think they can bring a little bit more variety Leinster wants you to run straight at them they love making double tackles and they'll do it all day if they have to they're really destructive in those tight channels if you're going to be confrontational there has to be an element of that from Munster of course but you'd love to see a couple of examples of those tip-on passes they're increasingly using the the link passes out the back to whoever their playmaker is um, and just throwing slightly different pictures at it. That applies to the attack, uh, kicking game as well. That was the big theme, as Bernard mentioned. Munster got a lot of criticism for kicking so often against Leinster, and, and my criticism probably was that there wasn't much else to the game plan apart from that. I totally understand it. Like Kicking, 
it's curious it's such a divisive thing in rugby now it's such an important part of the game it allows you to apply pressure and you think of say early in that game box kick up on Jordan Larmer Munster follow up CJ Sander wins a turnover penalty 3-0 straight away there's a really good example of using your kick game to pressure at other times you're relieving pressure putting the opposition in a tough situation where they might kick back to you and you'll have a really good kick return opportunity or else one of those line out platforms that are so important in the game so there's loads of sense in doing it but Again, it's about a little bit of variety and, and not becoming predictable in that. I think there have been signs, again, from Munster of slightly mixing that up. Kicking off 10 at times, even the dummy box kick setups they've been using kind of intermittently. You'd love to see Dialende offering a bit in that regard, as well as the wings with their little chip kicks and grubbers. You, you just have to have more than your nine kicking everything. That'll be a big part of it, of course, especially with those conditions. Um, but I'd love to see Munster slightly mix things up. and And I think how they go about breaking down Leinster will be, be really interesting as well as how they defend Leinster it's such a big challenge isn't it most teams get it wrong the, you know Leinster tend to dominate possession was looking at the stats before we came on they're, they're up over 18 minutes 18.31 on average time in possession Munster 15.42 Leinster being the highest in the Pro 14 and they love grinding you down and milking penalties out of you getting into good positions on the pitch and being really clinical they have the ability obviously to play many different ways but I've been interested to see Connacht, obviously, most prominently picking them off for a couple of intercept tries. Even in the A match the last day, Ulster A picked them off two or three times, I think, in the first half. So you're seeing teams who are aggressive against Leinster's attack being rewarded, really. Most prominently, obviously, Saracens being the best example of all. Shutting them down, stifling them, um, and just being ultra-aggressive. So I'd probably expect something similar from from that regard uh with Munster so it is fascinating to see how they approach it and I think they have more weapons to really challenge Leinster and that's why I'm finding it so hard in particular to call this game more so than ever I think Munster have made progress in the areas they needed to yeah it's an interesting point about the kicking game I know a lot of Munster fans and even people like Tom Savage, Three Red Kings, who, who does a lot of analysis on Munster, probably feel in the aftermath of that game that a lot of fans were, were too harsh on uh, the amount of times or the number of times Munster kicked. And really that the issue was not the tactics that Van Grand deployed, but more so how they were executed. Uh, I would add, like, my own personal feelings on it, it would be similar to yourself uh, or yours, Murray, in that... It, it, to me the problem was that they didn't deviate from it at all like it was their sole plan and it wasn't going well and there was sort of no adaptation and sometimes you have to cut your losses a little bit and just try something else particularly I think the, the criticism of it was particularly accentuated by the fact that they had tried other things in the previous game against Leinster only a week or so prior and it it had looked more successful albeit in a completely different type of game um, but if they are to kick again Bernard this weekend as they probably will quite a lot from nine uh, they're, they're, I don't think it should be uh, perceived as being a backward step by Monster fans or by other fans because as you said at the start of the show there are a number of ways to win a game and like if you tried to uh, go mano a mano against Leinster out wide like, and, and try to play expansively or as expansively as they can and match them out there you're going to come up short they're actually a better team than Munster. Like, <laughs> it's kind of the elephant in the room. They are still a better team than Munster. Even if Munster win this weekend, it doesn't mean they're a better team than Leinster. So you, from Munster's point of view, they have to be meticulous and careful in planning out a victory, like plotting it out. They're not just going to freestyle it. So what I'm saying in a very long-winded way is if they go back to that type of tactic that they used in the semi-final last season, it doesn't mean it's wrong, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it was right, and I, I stood up for Johan afterwards, um, and I, I thought the way Leo criticised him um, probably told a story around what Leinster fear um, or what Leinster don't like playing against is is that type of game plan, um, and teams who stick rigidly to it because Leinster wait for you to overplay and then they they expose you, then they get a scores a couple of scores ahead of you, and then it's curtains because. Um, you know, I I I've I find it hard to see predict a team who let Leinster get a big lead and, and catch up and pass them out late. I think you have to be the opposite. You have to get ahead of them and like Saracens did, like Connacht did, um, and make them chase the game. And that's probably the I'd say what Stuart and Leo want to get better at is the day they do go behind is that how they can actually um, go behind properly. I know they were behind at halftime against Ulster, but like to go two scores behind 
how they manage that. Um, and uh, because they're going to have to get better at that, obviously, to um, to go and win Europe or, or, or potentially win another Pro 14. But from a from a Munster point of view, I think there is, has to be you know a strong focus on their on their kicking game. Um, they just need to improve their ability to get the ball back on some of those kicks. So I think they had 25 kicks against against Leinster um, in the in the semi final. But their ability to get the ball back or even not just catch, not not get it back in the air, but put pressure on that on that breakdown. Um, like England do, where they just flood that breakdown, make it a mess, um, take you out of your of your sink. The problem was Leinster were catching it comfortably, able to get momentum on the next carry, and then kick back onto Munster and, and put pressure onto them. So, I, I think it's going to have to be a, a key target. The reality, as well, is in a semi final, is that you know, unfortunately, JJ had a thirty three percent goal kicking uh, percentage in that game. Um, so Munster were in the right areas of the field. They did win penalties, but they weren't able to convert them into points and. Um, and I do agree that the last 20 minutes when they were two scores behind, they needed to have a plan B and they didn't have it. But I'm sure they have now. I can't see how they didn't use that game as um, a, a learning point for them. And, and they have evolved their game further now and Delande is more comfortable now and they have more players in form. So um, I would be shocked if they didn't have a plan B this weekend. Um, but, you know, from a from a mentality point of view you know they need to commit a hundred percent to plan a um and and try and affect that really well because that was the issue that didn't affect what was a simple plan well against against Leinster and they looked to have real lack of belief in that plan um and that's probably why we were all shocked because it was it was a tepid kind of vanilla type performance really from them um which well, if you know they're not going to beat Leinster playing like that, you know what I mean. Uh, they have to have a, a good plan. They have to bring physicality, intensity, um, unsettle Leinster, get in their faces. Um, if it's if it's going to work, and yeah, I, I I'd be shocked if they're if they if they don't like um, show massive improvements because they've done all the stuff since then to uh, to change. And I think defensively they're in a really good place at the moment. Um, and. Um, I think they're starting to to throw some shooters in. They're sending the ball carrier back inside, and they've got some really good jackal threats. And um, the way their game has been refereed at the moment, I mean, you don't really want to have the ball in 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 um, in the wrong areas of the field, and that's why teams are kicking so much because they just want to get the opposition to uh, to start to overplay, and then obviously look to get some penalties at the breakdown or turnovers if you have jackal threats, which. I mean, you know, with one example, but Ty Byrne against Connacht was was phenomenal. You know, he always is very good, but I mean, he was untouchable at the breakdown, and uh, uh, particularly, but also it wasn't just him. It was the way it was the way Munster were making two men hits and actually sending the ball carrier back in towards Ty um, with a dominant two man hit, and then committing the third man. So it's not just oh, Ty's on the field. There's there's a lot of joined up thinking in 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 how they're executing it and um as i said it mightn't just be ty it'll be there's other players in there who are who are capable of doing it but jj if he starts like he needs to uh, i'd be shocked if munster won the game and he's not 90 percent mm. one of the other areas that didn't go well the last day for munster was the line out i think they lost yeah. four lineouts, four lineouts didn't they? Lost, yeah. so four lineouts in key areas yeah mm. Probably off the back of good kicking many of the times where they got yeah. good field position, then they're in position to strike and they just don't get that the launch off the set piece. It's a really simple kind of thing, but in fairness, their line-out is usually very reliable. Leinster have had a couple of wobbles, obviously, in that area, and you'd imagine that Omani and Byrne will be licking their lips at a chance to attack that area where yeah. maybe there's a lack of confidence from Leinster. Um, so that was one thing that could have made a big difference the, the last day and it was still a very tight game you know Munster probably should have had a penalty try at the end for that mall collapse and that would have brought it obviously even closer on the scoreline Leinster didn't blow them away there but they had the more subtle clever touches in the game you think of the build up to their try it was involved that lovely play from the right hand side scrum in their own half they go all the way to the left edge then they kick behind Earls and he knocks on in his own 22 and that was really the key moment of the game there was that little bit of variety beyond that Leinster didn't actually have to do a lot so you'd love to see Munster nail that line out platform and, and show us what they've been working on I think statistically if you're looking at stats going into this game um, Munster's line out is number one in the competition and I agree with you Murray I love how they launch off their line out now and that balance between mauling and, and intricate plays off it and Leinster's line out has dropped I think to 87% or 88% so 
they are struggling a little bit, and Munster have a very good defensive line. So if you do, if you do, obviously. Um, find grass and and get into touch and like like Carty did in the second half when they had a lead, um, they would fancy themselves to be able to get some turnovers or at least disrupt the quality of ball that that Gibson Parker Luke McGrath gets. So like there's there's logic behind that plan as well to give Leinster lots of line out throws um, and or force them to kick out so you've got a, a line out opportunity in their half and you know statistically at the moment. Munster scrum is starting to is, is a little bit up and down, but their line out is is exceptionally good. A lot of this conversation feels centered on Munster, and it's really only because the onus is on them in every area to improve. Like when a, another team has been dominant for so long, it's difficult to talk about what they need to do to be better when they've already already been better for so long. But I'm going to ask that question anyway, Birch. Like, is there are there areas that you would like to see Leinster improve upon, even from that Ulster game, even going back to Saris? Like, do you feel as though they've adapted enough or or added enough nuance or variety to their game this season so far uh, that would lead you to believe that if we get the latter stages of of European competition and adding the caveat that Saris aren't even there, like that they can go one step further this time? Like, have you seen enough in Leinster to suggest that they're evolving their game as well? Uh, and that they, even if Munster do make some of the improvements we're talking about this weekend, that maybe Leinster might be one step ahead again, having moved on that a little bit more. Mm, I can't can't say for sure. I've seen it because I don't think they've been tested, um, and that's the, that, that's the problem for them. And that's like even against Ulster, you know, when, which should have been a really good test for them. You know, they got away with with at half time nine five um, nine five down, having not really played well at all being really rusty and then they just crank up the pressure a little bit the third quarter and suddenly the game is over like it's uh, and first that's testament to their ability to be able to, to lift and execute and put pressure but unfortunately Ulster didn't give them the tests in terms of real quality or you know having really good discipline and not making many errors like Ulster basically folded and gave the game to Leinster uh, whereas the reality is to to say for sure that they could beat a Toulouse, they could beat a Racing, um, you know, the, they probably need to play them a little bit more. And that's uh, and I think Munster, to be honest, I think Munster are, you know, um, more of a genuine threat. Like Ulster are doing great. Um, they don't have a huge amount of internationals uh, who are going to be starting for Ireland. Munster have a little bit more about them, I think, at the moment. And um, I think this game could be the game where you know, we can say, oh yeah, Leinster have moved on and learnt, but unfortunately for them, it's nearly two, they're in second gear nearly all the time in a lot of games. And then if you look at Montpellier, you know, they're 13th in the top 14, didn't, I would say, try a yard really in that game in, in Europe. And Northampton are, are in shock and form. So even Europe hasn't given Leinster two games where they could go, yeah, we've been tested, we've been pushed. We've had to evolve, uh, and look, I'm sure they are working on stuff. Uh, um, but unfortunately for them, um, you know, they got Saracens in in a quarter final and just bang, you know, scrum weakness exposed, you know, and they don't get tested in those areas enough. But I, I genuinely do think that this week um, will be a, a real test for them, and um, they, they, we'll see we'll see how. How comfortable they are against you know someone another team who are top six in Europe. Yeah, we're excited to see what Monster can produce as they try to uh, gain parity with Leinster, but equally enthused by the prospect of Leinster bringing some surprises and showing us a few things we haven't seen so far this season. I'll get your prediction, so gents, before we talk about Ireland briefly and then wrap. Uh, Bernard, let's start with yourself. Monster or Leinster for you? Yeah, I think Leinster just about. I mean, I, I agree with you. You know, we haven't spoken about Leinster, and I, I'm, do, I was doing a piece of footage for pre-match for Premier and I, I went to look into Leinster lineouts because obviously statistically it's not great and I thought oh I could do a I could do a minute and a half of analysis of Leinster's lineout and why Munster can attack that but the reality was okay the percentages are dropped down but it's not like brutal it's it's not something you'd say oh we can definitely go after them they're 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 crap it's just they've missed a few lineouts at, at key moments in games they were comfortable so I ended up doing a, a bits on how good their attack is because I think it's really balanced and obviously they've got they're hitting nine of the top twenty metrics and and some of most of those are attack wise so um, I think Leinster just about but I, I think Munster have the potential to win it doesn't matter if Leinster are topping all this. I mean, it's about this eighty minutes, and 
this Munster team, um, you know, just making sure they get the better of those metrics over 80 minutes, not over the course of the season. Where are your thoughts? Munster 18, Leinster 16. What about you, Gav? That's what people really want to hear. I think yeah. Munster 13, Leinster 26. Oof. That's a big blow to the Munster fans. Yeah, I know, including myself. I mean, I was surprised even... I had a my 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 old boss in Grenoble um, for Brice Landro. So he'd pick a team like basically without any logic, okay. And, and I, sometimes I'd ask him, "Why did you go for that scrum half?" Like he, he's been on the S-Bars for the last four months in the freezer, and uh, he just go <laughs> basically <laughs> has a feeling and uh, no logic. You know what I mean? So um, I, I sometimes wonder, Gav, is that is, is, are you half French in in terms of your prediction? <laughs> Well, firstly, I'm insulted, not by the, the suggestions that I'm half French, but by the <laughs> accusation that there's no method to my mad predictions. <laughs> the reason why I, I, I predict that score is because I think Leinster, I said it during the show, I just think Leinster are, are a better team in, in most areas of the pitch, despite the fact that Munster are improving. I, I don't quite see this as being their 2008 game that you played in Birch in, in Moser. I think it'll be... Uh, mm. It might be another season before we see that and, and another season again before we see Munster actually um, join join rejoin the European elite. So, like, I think it'll be a close game. I think Munster will be inc- incredibly competitive. I think it'll be a lot better than that Pro 14 semi-final. And the margin might be a little bit misleading as well. Uh, that's a kind of a margin taking in, into account maybe a late Leinster score to pull away, uh, similar to, um, to a couple of those Champions Cup or Heineken Cup semi-finals as they were back then. Ireland, lads. Let's chat about it. Um, I'm just going to get your squads, like because we are actually running out of time. Uh, we've had a couple of connectivity issues throughout the podcast, which have been smoothly edited out, I think, at this point. But it's cost us a few minutes, mainly my fault. Uh, I'll start with yourself, Murray. We're just going to kind of go through you, your, your projected squad and Birch's as well, um, who you see making the Mache 23 for opening fixture. And... I enjoy doing these. Usually we do them in a kind of a longer term sense, like picking the Lions squad about seven years out from the tour. Um, <laughs> but this time, listeners will have an opportunity to come back and tell you how wrong you were. So go for it. Yeah, there's nothing too controversial. Healy, Herring, Porter, I think in the in the front row, I've been impressed with Herring's form. I don't think anyone else has done enough to take that jersey from him. And for me, those two props are clearly first choice. Uh, the second row, first choice for me is Henderson Ryan, if Henderson gets fit, but otherwise Ty Burns' form has been absolutely brilliant and I think the back row they finished up with against Scotland Stander Omani in the seven jersey and Doris at number eight I think he has to play there he's the best number eight in the country in, in my eyes um, I think that's the way it goes in the in the back row so I wonder is Birch's pack very similar or has he gone for something different yeah my packer um, is similar uh, same exactly Keane uh, Healy Herring Porter Ryan Henderson interestingly I listened to a podcast about with uh, Henderson yesterday um Niall Ness, he's the Worcester hooker, and uh, he just—he said, yeah. you know, Paul, he's been on to him two or three times already, planning, um, talking about lineouts, which is great to hear, you know. Um, so if Henderson was fit, I'd go with him, and then the same back row. I just thought that that experiment and balance of um, Omani at seven with getting Doris into the team with Stander worked really well. So I wouldn't see any any changes there. Do you pick a uh, pack, Gav? I didn't, Murray. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I, I I saw your message too late, and uh, I was working on something else. So uh, much in the same sense as I didn't get a chance to shave, I didn't get a chance to pick a pack. <laughs> I'm delighted to defer to you lads. To be honest, uh, I do love the idea. Like, if, imagine if you weren't really passionate about lineouts, getting those phone calls from Paulie. How annoying that would be! Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Christ's sake! Like, not again! Like, <laughs> Ian Ian comes across as a very laid back guy, um, and it'll just be really interesting how. How Paul manages people who have different um, different outlooks or different personalities about lineouts that he does. Hundred percent. You you can take it on with the backs here, so Birch. My lag is getting so bad. Um, it, it's time to wrap. But take us home with your uh, back yeah. seven. Yeah. I, the, and subs. Tried and trusted. Tried and trusted. Murray Sexton. Um, Hen, Henshaw Ringrose in the centre. Um, and. Earls on on uh, on one wing, Hugo Keenan at Stockdale um, to wrap it up. Uh, Keenan at fifteen and Stockdale, Stockdale left wing. wing Stockdale left or wing. is it the other way? Yeah, I'm going back. I'm putting Stockdale back in the wing. Mer, 
Yeah, uh, Murray Sexton, same and same centres. Aki hasn't played obviously last while, and I think Henshaw's been r- really, really good. And he's got better as the season's gone on. Went for Stockton on the left, Keenan fullback. I went for Larmer on the right wing with Earls on the bench this time. He's had a couple of poorer games, which is really weird to say about Keith Earls just in the last while, including that Clermont game where, in fairness, he recovered from a, a poor start. But Larmer looked sharp when he came back. He obviously hasn't got a lot of rugby under his belt, but. I'd love to see his his footwork back in the team and, and offering something different in, in that sense. Um, Earl's a really good option there as 23 and, and covers everything. So, yeah, I, I think there's a nice choice to make in the back three there. Obviously, Stockdale's gone at 15, but I think Keenan is playing brilliant rugby. He's so solid and secure, as well as having the ability to beat defenders. He's stepping up as a first receiver and just keeps getting better and better. So that's the way I went with it. Is it a concern at all that like we've probably done... 15 podcasts over the last 12 to 18 months talking about prospective Ireland squads and, and guys coming up um, future stars and really only two of them are, are actually in both of your match day 15s I guess for this opener, Six Nations opener like Doris, La- uh, Keenan are kind of like newish faces obviously um, but for all of the talk about like the rise of John Cooney and for all of the guys that were putting their hands up sort of post-World Cup when we were talking about transitioning and really blooding new players, we, we, we still have vaguely the same squad as the one that did well in 2018 and, and has not been so good since then. I'll throw that to yourself, Bert. Yeah, it is It is a bit of a, um, a worry, I suppose, in some ways, but also it's testament to the fact that, um, well, particularly the guys that you would have said, you know, um, were had more longevity that there's Murray Sexton's, you know, Healy's, um, Peter Manny, Stander have shown glimpses and, and, and shown better form and, and is tried and trusted. So um it's up to the others to to really nail down their 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 place. And even a guy that we're talking around as as deserving an opportunity is Reese Ruddock who we've known about for, for ten years. So um but that's the way it is that these these young players, you know, the the Coombs, etc have done really well, but they have to just keep progressing. They have to prove it over two, three, four, five years um, and on, on the biggest stage. And everything they've done so far has been been great, but they just need to take it to another level. And and it's these big games is where where, where the opportunities are to, to really put your hand up. So um, in some ways, yeah, it's, it's disappointing we haven't seen more, but in other ways, it's 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 credit to the players who are who are there that they're, they're managing to warrant their selection. Because we, like... There's no bias in this. We pick, put forward whoever we thought would do the best job, and I think you know myself and Murray had had very similar teams, um, and it's because you know we still feel they're the best players in the country. Yeah, Jesus, I don't mean it as a criticism of your selections, like more so wondering is it a maybe an indictment on the no. the, the the guys coming up, the up and comers, um, and Murray, like even for yourself. So like, if we were to look at prospective new caps if, if I could ask you if there was one or two players that you would anticipate maybe uh, factoring in this international squad over the Six Nations maybe making a debut at some point not necessarily against Wales um, uh, are there a couple of guys that you would expect to see kind of blooded or will it be more or less tried and tested do you think throughout the, the competition I'd say that Italy match is generally the one where you maybe get a cap or two in there and I would anticipate that that would be something similar. I mean, the guys who've been around it now a little bit over the last year, you think of Harry Byrne, he's been in several camps at this stage. They clearly want him to, I suppose, fast track. Craig Casey as well has been in there and is a really good talent. Unfortunately, he's sitting behind Conor Murray in, in terms of Munster first choice, so he's got a battle there. But I look at those two guys. Coombs, I think, is one who has been really impressive consistently and the fact that he's such a big man helps a lot. You know, Test Rugby, you've got to be powerful and strong. It's not a place to just throw kids in. But he looks like he can already be um, a, a kind of, I suppose, physical enforcer in many ways. And he's he's stood up to a few good tests so far and, and there are many more ahead of him. So I suppose they're the three I'm thinking of off, off the top of my head. But I, I do think there are guys who've challenged the status quo like you mentioned John Cooney his form has been really good I kind of have him pencil in on my bench Jack Carty similar he's been good and and show something different um you would imagine Kilcoyne will be back in there as well presuming he he gets true fit and Ronan Keller still be in the mix so there's guys pushing but as Bernard says it's it's tough to it's tough to get past guys who've 
proven themselves over a long time. I know people will argue that there's loads of guys in the Ireland team who haven't been playing well, but I think a lot of that tends to be exaggerated. And certainly recently, the team we've listed out there, like the vast majority of those guys are in good form and have had good performances in the bigger games that we've had. Obviously, there's been post moments and cancellations to factor in there, but most of those guys are playing pretty well. And I think Andy Farrell will actually be pretty excited about the kind of form and uh, fitness that he's getting his squad in for this Six Nations. Super stuff, gents. Thanks a million as always. Thank you, Birch. Thank you, Murray. Thanks, guys. And thank you to everybody at home as well for listening. Uh, You can join the good folks in the members rugby WhatsApp group by joining the 42 at members.the42.e. You also get access then to a plethora of extra podcasts and off-the-book sort of content that wouldn't be on the homepage necessarily when you fire up the 42 on the desktop. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, we'd really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review. Hate asking for them, but absolutely love when you give them to us. Uh, and people tend to be incredibly kind with them. If you have a couple of minutes to spare during the week at all, or, or even after you listen to this podcast on your 5k walk or jog, uh, take a breather. Give us a, a rating or review. It helps us out an awful lot. Thanks a million to those of you who have taken the time to do so. Listen, the big one over the weekend. Uh, enjoy it. Uh, enjoy all of the rugby over the weekend. Back on Monday with Murray and Owen Toolan for members and back on Thursday ourselves for this regular slot. Until then, mind yourselves. Take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year. I wouldn't go. It is Rugby, rugby, weekly. Then the first pass.